Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Local Earshot Podcast. That's a new intro we got. Well, not new, but it's uh, newly... Uh, uh, the way we're doing it is new. So it's pre-recorded and all that. Thanks to Scott Miles. That's a badass song. Y'all go check it out. It's called I Destroy Myself. I think it's on all the streaming devices and whatnot. Jonathan Grissom, More Bands Media. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Got a guest. We got a comic in with us today. Brad Porter. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How's it going? You know, yeah, making it. I'm excited to be literally anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I was talking to Jonathan when we, when we were setting up, and I'm like, I don't remember when your name came across our desk, but I want to say it was through Lenny. Okay. Uh, Lenny Van Horn. Lenny Van Horn. Yeah. So um, how long have you been doing this thing? And, and um, how, you know, just kind of where you're from and where how'd you end up in my living room? Here I started <laughs> uh, I started stand-up comedy in June of 2006. Okay. So, so you've I've been, been around it. a hot minute. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did comedy for, I don't know, 15-ish years. And, uh, uh, you know, used that to buy a bar that was promptly shut down by the pandemic oh boy and then uh yeah spent the rest i don't i'm i'm nervous because i've like here's the deal (laughs) (laughs) i i sat in my apartment alone for nine months and i've never i've never been the same I can't. I don't know if I'm solitude doing a good is, job of being around people yet. Uh, same, same. The uh, the the first like big concert I went to after the pandemic was a shine down concert, I think, and it was weird. It was well. I mean, you went to a shine down. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm kidding. It, it was yeah. It's it's like I don't know. I'm kind of an antisocial guy, so I like I'm. I'm totally cool being by myself most of the time obviously you get to that limit everybody yeah. has that line yeah. but yeah same i was i was like I, I i don't know if i'm being around other people correctly yeah and i don't <laughs> like i i've never been uh, uh you know solo act i gotta be around people i've always been a social butterfly i i, I don't know like i don't know when or how it got weird but I came out of that nine month hole and I just, I can't talk to people anymore. I don't know. Like you just, you just start a conversation and it feels normal at first. And then I realize I'm, I've shared way too much information. Like I, this got weird and I don't know when it got weird and I don't know how it got. Like I, I don't know what I I do have a story though. I do have a, an anecdote that I want to share with Shoot. you. Is there, um, if if I came to you through Lenny Van Horn, one of my favorite Lenny Van Horn is one of my favorite people on the planet. He's awesome, yeah. um, and he very early on uh, figured out that a lot of this game in in stand up comedy is merch. Like you, if you, you know, about half of your income is selling T-shirts and stickers uh-huh. and bullshit. Same, that, same in I'm the sorry, rock can and I roll say world. Bullshit? Yeah, uh-huh. okay, say whatever you want. Man. Um, uh, yeah, just whatever, whatever you can think to sell. That's about half your income. You get, you get about 
you know, X number of dollars from the club you're playing and then about that much money in T-shirt right. sales. And that's how you can eat. <laughs> and uh, so he had merch way before any of the rest of us. And <laughs> I, I was uh, we were celebrating a uh, buddy's bachelor party at the Red Dog. Oh, boy. Because famous. Classic. The world famous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're important people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, first of all, I come walking in there like Vince McMahon. Like, I own the place. <laughs> and my buddies are laughing because they're like, Jesus, dude, you're not supposed to be that comfortable here. This is crazy. <laughs> but we well, sit down and we start. so true. <laughs> we start, like, you know, it is a colorful place. I'll put it that way. It doesn't matter if you're there on a Tuesday night or Saturday night. Or, you know, Sorry. it's a colorful place. Yeah. So we decide we're going to put together a... Uh, a bingo card like a red dog bingo card and so we're like this i mean this you know i don't now i'm starting to worry that this sounds <laughs> this is a little nerdy of an activity for, <laughs> for a strip club You're or whatever in a filthy strip club making a bingo card right. go on go on <laughs> <laughs> boobs are out and somebody was like let's draw a grid let's play a retirement game here <laughs> so <laughs> Anyway, that's what we were doing. I can't defend it. This is what we were doing. And we were giggling at each other. And then one of us was like, uh, put down on the uh, bingo card, Lenny Van Horn comedy t-shirt. Because it seemed like, well, that might be something that you would see at the Red Dog. And so he wrote it down. And then within 10 minutes, a dude walks in completely organically, completely just wearing a Lenny Van Horn t-shirt. And I was manifest like, I gotta that know. shit. <laughs> I mean, I bounced up like a mousetrap. Like, I was like, I gotta know, where did you get this shirt? And the dude was like, first of all, back up. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> and I'm expecting him to be like, oh, Lenny's my cousin. You know what I mean? Like, I am expecting, like, you don't see, you know, we just saw a Lenny Van Horn comedy t shirt in the mm-hmm. wild. And the dude was like, no, I went to a bar one night. There was a comedy show. I thought the guy was funny about a show. I was like, this is an organic Lenny the fucking bingo, guys. <laughs> Lenny is a rock god if you found a, a merch shirt in the Red Dog. Totally unstaged yep, organic. Yep, completely organic and in the wild. Uh, he just leveled up in our eyes around here now. That was dope. <laughs> it was, I never made fun of his t-shirts again, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That is one thing I've noticed. I mean, it's the same way with being in a rock band is the merch is, that's, you know, the, the show might get your gas money getting there, but the merch is where you're going to be able to eat some food. <laughs> For better or worse. <laughs> yeah. That is, that's how, that's how you eat. Well, um, since 2000, have you always been through Oklahoma or is this, have you kind of jumped around? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I had kids. Yeah. And so <laughs> uh, that was about, <laughs> about 2010. My uh, wife at the time was like, I, I can't with you anymore. And so <laughs> we split up and um, I went into this horrifying depression and and then my buddy who started comedy here in Oklahoma City but had moved to Chicago, um, I don't know. He just showed up one day and he was like, dude, you're too fucking sad. This is lasting way too long. So you're coming with me. <laughs> Let's go. And he worked this weird job at the time where he, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. He w- His job was, he worked for a, a podiatrist. And he would go into nursing homes and check the circulation in old people's feet. 
to be sure that, you know, All right. diabetes isn't getting yeah. out of hand, blah, blah, blah. He would go home, make custom-made orthotics for those people, and then take them back. Well, he got paid a certain amount of money for driving out into the middle of nowhere to do these things. And so we set up the system where to get me off my couch, he grabbed me, took me to Chicago, and then he would give me his mileage money to drive him to these far off nursing homes. So what would happen was for a month and a half, my whole life was I would drive him to work and he would sleep in the car and then he would work while I slept in the car. And then he would get back in the car. We would drive back to Chicago and do comedy. Literally there were, we could just do sets all night long. We could do sets till 4am. There was always like an open mic at a bar at four. Like it was insane. And we would just do sets. And then we'd do sets as for as late as there were sets to do. And then repeat. Mm-hmm. Get back in the car, drive off into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> he's sleeping. I sleep while he's at work. Drive back to Chicago. Do sets all night. And yeah, I was, mean, that, was that like uh, it saved my uh, life? Like, uh, your 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 ten thousand hours, so to speak. You it know, it, that kind it of contributed. Reps. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I say four a.m. Obviously, a lot of bars close at two. You like it? You know. Yeah, uh, Chicago. You, you, they they're kind there of there was a lot of they got that was, speakeasy culture, the after hours kind of thing. There's probably always there were holes. Yeah, to yeah. do there were there were yeah. Yeah. There were lots of holes. Yeah. <laughs> there were, but there were also like, uh, we also, I mean, you know, to be honest, we cushioned a lot of that too with, you know, 3.30 a.m. burritos and, you know, stuff, booze and yeah. other things. things. Yeah. But so, <laughs> I'm with you, man. But it saved my life. <laughs> I mean, it literally, I, you know, I was, I was borderline suicidal. Damn, and, man. Um, I don't know that you're not, there's no such thing as borderline suicidal. I thought about killing myself a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't. <laughs> and he, you know, saved my life. And so I was in Chicago, uh, re, uh, freshly divorced and raw and bitter and angry. And, uh, was like, you know, this is it. I could either stay here and do this and, and do comedy from Chicago or I could go home uh, put comedy on the back burner, be a dad. And uh, that's what I decided to do. I decided I didn't want to be that guy who, you know, here's the deal. My talent and work ethic and luck, if you combine those three things and you and you say, okay, this is what you have to work with, what's the very best you could do? Best case scenario, I'd be that guy who did Conan twice. <laughs> like if if all three of those things conspired together to give me the like my talent and my luck and my work ethic, if all if all of those peaked, I would be that guy who did Conan twice. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself, well, am I willing to sacrifice a relationship with my kid <laughs> to be the guy who did Conan twice? <laughs> And the answer was nah. You know, I can be forty-five-year-old comic and character actor. I don't. I was never going to be like a leading man. So, like, you know, I put it off. And so, 
you know, I basically worked the road as much as I could from Oklahoma. Um, I took, uh, I, I worked like oil jobs that were real flexible so I could just kind of pop in and pop out whenever I, you know, uh, needed to. And then, you know, I produced shows with OKC Comedy for 10 years. Mm. And so I kind of cobbled together a living with those three things um, and uh, saved up money and put myself in a position to buy the Paramount Room in 2019. Nice. I'm, I'm, we're, our trajectory is kind of similar in that we're uh, trying to cobble together uh, something with this, and then he's got more bands, and then I'm doing 13th Step which is more on like uh, live production and stuff. <clears throat> but, um, and then I'm in the Hollis band too. And it's like, out of, you know, somewhere between all those, something will catch. You uh, make you something know? work. Yeah. <laughs> something will catch. <laughs> you know, and, and, and for me, honestly, nothing really caught. Like I just kept doing the things that I was doing until I kind of found myself in a position to buy the bar. And that's where all of the risk Came in. Yeah. I thought I was like living the artist's life and being risky and like, nah. And then uh, we bought that bar and uh, real financial risks. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I mean, we were living on our savings for a year and like it had taken a decade plus to put myself in that position. And then we were, we were living on our savings for a year. And then March now, 12th, 2020. Yeah. I was just about to to segue into that, man. Um, from from my perspective, um, we started the show right on the right around the same time, right on the cusp of that coming in. And when we our first episode, I don't we didn't have a guest. I don't think for the first three or four episodes because it was like there's nothing happening. We're, we're, yeah. We started a podcast for live entertainment, and there's no live entertainment. So <laughs> so the Paramount Room was a bar with uh it was a bar with a a venue attached to it. So it was a small cap venue. We could do about 175 in there. And uh, we did a lot of events. So not just like concerts and shows, which we tried to keep busy on our calendar, but we also did like weddings and like right, right. people. Like we also did like all kinds of like personal events, private events. <laughs> and it turns out, we uh, I think we opened June of 2019 and closed on March 12th, 2020. <sighs> And we were just too young. Like, we didn't have enough. We couldn't demonstrate enough to get enough aid to really get us through it. And then, like, it was just a nightmare. I mean, and what I would say, like. Uh, well, then you was, lost those open mics that you guys would do. Yeah. It's like, I, yeah. I, would, I would go to the mo open mics. I mean, it was, like, Monday or Tuesday that they would just do this thing where you just walk in there and just random comics would go up and, and like. Taught, like do jokes and well stuff. i mean and that kind of stuff put, still puts asses in seats you know but if, yeah. if you got it was fun well was and fun our, our, our approach was what we tried to do is we wanted to kind of be a home for every creative weirdo in the city and we we had like a community of magicians <laughs> i mean if you uh, say ventriloquist this is over there weren't any puppets <laughs> i will say there weren't any puppets <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know why all of a sudden you guys are racist against puppets, but <laughs> I, I we would have been happy to have the puppets. We just didn't ever have any. I don't know. Puppets and clowns don't get a pass from me. They just don't. <laughs> anyway. Mimes. Mimes. All right. Show me what you got, and then I'll yeah, judge. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a weird. Oh, uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> It turns out, though, that like having a venue where you're asking people, hey, 
come uh, rent our space or come book your concert here so you can gather a random number of people together on a date in the middle distance that nobody like there was literally no worse business to be in. <laughs> yeah. Like the only way that we could possibly have been in a worse business is if we owned a kissing booth. <laughs> like if our business was put your mouth on my mouth during Jesus a pandemic Christ. is the only way. <clears throat> so we ate it hard. Like yeah. and it was it, it, people forget how frustrating that whole thing was because, you know, you know, I think probably you're the defense mechanism in your brain it's probably still engaged man i mean we're on the downside of it things are opened up we hope we hope yeah exactly. we hope. <laughs> right you know but i mean there in the beginning it was like all right we're closed on the night that we closed we had a sold out show with hari kondabalu i use the term you can hear me sold out was come on you guys know how this is. Seats. You, you know, you guys <laughs> know how this is. <laughs> That's all good. We've had a nice big show <laughs> with uh, Hari Kondabalu uh, that night, and he called that day from the airport and was just like, hey, I can't do it, guys. Like, I can't. I'm not going to make the trip. Damn. And so that was, to be honest with you, the first time I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is about to get bad. And then... You know, by that weekend, we weren't allowed to open anymore. And then it was it was it was one of those things where we're all sitting at home, like, all right, well, if we can open by April tenth, we'll be okay. Well, yeah. And at first, they like, were just saying it's going to be a few weeks, right? And it's like, mm, and that turned yeah, into if we can months. open May first, maybe we can make it. <laughs> and then we're like, all right, if we open on June first, we're okay, but. We have to open June fifteenth. Like it just kept yeah. getting pulled and pulled <clears throat> yeah. and pulled and pulled. And by the time we were legally allowed to open, we were just like, "Man, we're out of money." Like, <laughs> like well, there's no. I don't know what to do. Like, we couldn't. Like, I don't. I can't buy booze. I don't. I was gonna have to borrow money to buy booze, and I was just not. We weren't willing to borrow any more money. We had to. Yeah. Damn. So we we bid it. Um, and it's not the worst story I've heard about. Oh, the there, oh it, there are nightmare stories. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this for us, it actually, I mean, we were a very young business. And if it had happened in December, you and I wouldn't be having these conversations. <laughs> I would be busy dealing with the fallout from. But, like, it happened kind of at a time where we had paid a lot of things off. And we were in a, in a position to walk away from it without. Uh, bloody in ourselves and my partner in that business and i are still very very good friends which we could have it could have gone the other way <laughs> yeah but man when it's something some existential thing like that what do you what yeah do you, what do you, you do you don't really blame each other you're you just know? like do you have the money like, to pay this, this back just no? sucks you i'll know? get it then yeah <laughs> <laughs> well so in the fallout of that um are you stepping back into the mic <clears throat> into the mic and trying to Take a new angle there. Well, so I uh, I <laughs> I, uh, I didn't do comedy for the most part for that over that that year. I was really busy with the business and and I kind of got my freedom from it a little bit, you know, because stand up is one of those things where when you do it, it it sort of infects your life. I tell people when they start, like you have to do it six or seven times um, to know if this is what you want to do or not. Like if if you if you do it one time and all of your friends show up, 
right. and you kill, then you killed because all your friends showed up and they were going to laugh at anything you said. They're amazed you're on stage and they don't, <laughs> they're like they're not paying any, you know. Um, or they don't show up and you suck because you suck because that you have to suck because how could you possibly be good at this the first time you try to do it? Like, there's no, so you have to do it like six or seven times and then bomb. Yeah, you get, have to eat it. Get a couple bombs in there. You have to eat it, but yes, also have to feel like what if you feel what it feels like to do well, and then you'll know. Either this isn't what I thought it was, and I don't ever want to do this again, or it will absolutely ruin your life. <laughs> <laughs> it will grab you by the heart, and it will pull you into dark, dank. Smoky, <laughs> shitty places in front of people you hate, mostly people that probably hate you as well. Say shit you don't. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You go to a comedy show. Yeah, I'm going to do a hate watch. <laughs> say, say, uh, say shit that you don't fucking hate that guy. That you don't really think <laughs> into a microphone for almost no money. I had a nightmare one time that uh, I did the Tonight Show. For some reason, it was Jay Leno's Tonight Show. But I did the Tonight Show, and they, they filmed that show in the afternoon. And so I I had this dream that I filmed the Tonight Show and that George Carlin was on the show, and I really wanted to talk to George Carlin, but I couldn't talk to George Carlin because I had to get on a plane to come back and host an open mic at Othello's in Norman for $25 <laughs> and a pizza. <laughs> That, Wake up fucking out of breath and shit. Like, I gotta quit. I gotta quit. I'm quitting. I'm absolutely quitting. I cannot do this anymore. But it it, uh, it got me free doing that uh, running that business. Got me free from the kind of the need the need to get on stage and and because it's it's almost pathological where you. Especially even the, some of the most famous comics in the world. We've booked some of the most famous comics in the world over the years. And they will ask, where are the open mics in town? Mm. And it's not because they have any intention of going to those open mics. But they know as a comic, if you go on stage and you eat it, you have to get on stage again and wash that shit off of you. Right. So, like, everybody kind of makes preparations as you... <laughs> You're like, okay, where where can I go fix this if I eat well, shit tonight? And it, you know, like um, the the difference between let's say a musician and a comic that that I've noticed talking to comics versus musicians and um, musicians <clears throat> are cowards. I have a guitar. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, that big ass box behind you can make enough volume where people will just literally just walk away I, you shut up you have a you have a giant you shut up box i would say though that like creatively anyways sure, it's sure. like songwriting or in rehearsal in a band is like rarely you get up there and let it fly you right do, you do in certain parts of the show or whatever but a sure. comic it seems like all of your rehearsal and working it out is always done in front of people. in front of people yeah uh, Jerry Seinfeld said one time uh, that uh, stand-up comedy is the only job where your first day at work, people expect you to be as good at it as people who do it on television. <laughs> yep. 
Because there's what what other gauge do they have? That's what the you audience see. see has only seen comedy either live at their club or on television. And if the guy at the club isn't as good as the guy on television, then he's not good. And if you're just getting on stage for the first time, they have no reason to judge you any differently than they judge, you know, Chris Rock. Well, what, what's the point? Would you uh, would you suggest someone maybe that's like, oh, I could, I could, I could do that. I got a few good jokes. Like, there is absolutely no part of stand up comedy that does not require unearned hubris. There's not a single part of, of this job that doesn't require you to think you're better than you could possibly be. Like, I, I, the thing that got me on stage the first time was going to an open mic and going, I'm better than those guys. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was not. I had no concept of what it was. But I thought to myself, I'm, I can do better than half the guys I watched. And then you get up there and you realize, oh, Shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and how long 30 seconds oh. to a minute can be when you're up there and you got oh, a fucking light on you. <laughs> tell you stuff like, you're welcome to the open mic, you get four and a half minutes. Four, four and a half minutes. <laughs> how could I possibly fit all of my genius into four and a half minutes without saying fuck? And then 30 you get seconds up there in. and realize I don't have a minute and a half worth of shit to say. <laughs> I remember my, I remember um, a friend of mine, Leah Kajanian, uh terrible, terrible, vicious, awful bitch. She moved to from Norman to Los Angeles, and uh, she had been out there for a little while. And you know, she's in a new place, surrounded by people she doesn't know, and learning a lot about the business. And I'm very aware. You know, she's texting me as this is unfolding. I'm very aware of like where she's at mentally. I'm on the road for the first time and suffering in, you know, Independence, Dying Kansas and Dodge City, <laughs> Kansas and just eating shit in Kansas. And I called her one night and was just like, if you if someone put a gun to your head and this is after we'd been doing comedy for years, this is. I don't know, seven, eight, nine years in. We've been doing comedy for a very long time when we have this conversation. And I probably have written about three and a half hours of material. And I called her and was like, if, if someone put a gun to your head and said, give me the best, give me the best material you have. Or TV ready this is what you want the world to see. If it goes poorly, I'm going to shoot you in the head. How much time do you have? And she, this is eight, nine years in. She says, eight minutes. <laughs> and I was like, I got 12. <laughs> that's it. It was the whole conversation. Well, and it's, I mean, God, I imagine being out in L.A., the motherland of the comedy store and all that, yep. and the competition, what you deemed good material in Norman, Oklahoma, all of a sudden, it's a very different thing, man. Yeah, they there's, and, and I think there's a resurgence going on because of the Joe Rogan crowd. Um, no knock against the, you know, no knock against him, but he has his, his right. crowd, you know? right? And um, so I, I like that, but 
I'm curious how the idea is going to be with the the whole cancel culture thing. Blackballing is what they used to call it, but yeah, um, with that nowadays, because it's it's like comedy clubs used to be the place that you go to hear that shit nobody talks about. Ooh, right, you right. Know, and comics would like attack the audience, damn near. Now it's kind of the opposite. Shout out to Will Smith I, and the boys. It's like it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that trend. Yeah, not a good um, one. Uh, I, here's the deal. I, I, I think that uh, in the abstract, just devoid if you devoid of any details, in the abstract, it's tough right now. Environment. People are sensitive. People are raw. People don't want to hear that kind of comedy. Um. And I can understand that. Look, I have some perspective because I haven't really been on stage but a handful of times in the last two years. And I can see that people are, I mean. Walls are up for sure. Right. And and maybe rightly so. I mean, at the end of the day, we just lived through a presidential administration that I swear to God, my phone would go off. (laughs) Just make that. CNN ding, yeah, you know, just the boing, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck is happening now? Like, I just <laughs> yeah. lived in yeah. this constant state of anxiety, inflammatory, yeah, where yeah. everybody, like, where people like the president and people who worked for the president were throwing fireballs all day, every day, and making the and raising that anxiety level instead of pushing it down, and so. Uh, then comes COVID. Then know. comes COVID. Yeah. Then you're trapped. Then you 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 get a, a real sense of your not just your mortality, but the fragility of like everything you have of your job, of your of your your body, of yeah. your <laughs> everything. And yeah. you were stuck at home staring at a wall to think about it. And so, does the world need to hear my hot take on? No, like, <laughs> like pick, fill in the blank. Pick, no, but, inflammatory subject in here, you know. Right, yeah. yeah. Why am I? Why do I want to go be part of the part of the flamethrowers? Because to me, comedy has always been a, a vehicle to connect to people. I've always believed that if I got on stage and I connected with the audience, they'd let me say anything I want to say. If I go on stage and I, they they feel like we're on the same team, I can say literally anything I want to say, and no one's going to grab their phone and film me saying it. If I don't connect with that audience, if if there's distance between us, if I walk up and spiritually we're just not on the same page, they are judging every yeah. word I say. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say at that point. And I, part of me is just part of me just feels like man. Comedy he just needs to stop happening on Netflix. It just needs to stop happening on television. We need to stop putting it on records. Uh, let's just get in a room and make each other laugh. Because in that room, I can connect, and you'll let me say anything I want to say, and you'll understand that when I say something awful, I'm being ironic or sarcastic or satirical. And at the end of the day... If I've hurt your feelings, you can come up to me and you can say, hey, Brad Chad, what you said, that was fucked up. I got a kid that, 
you know, died from that or whatever. And I could say to you, to your face, the last thing in the world I ever wanted to do was hurt your feelings. This is not what this is about. We laugh at these things so that we take the power away from them so that we can, for whatever reason, and please understand. And then we shake hands and drink a beer together. And then everybody goes home with a human experience that meant something that was enriching and that maybe had its problem moments but at the end of the day was a good thing for everybody but Ricky Gervais makes a half-assed trans joke on <laughs> Netflix yeah. and everybody's like oh man oh, yeah. pooping their pants well it's like it. uh what is it when I'm uh Kyle Kinane like uh yeah. I really like his stuff right but like you listen to his older stuff and Chicago and and everything and and that set on on his little CD and and you can't say some of the jokes that he said on there <laughs> and and now you see him on Comedy Central and you see him like get bigger in clubs and he and he was like he came to town and played Tower Theater but then it said all age show and I saw that and I was like there ain't no way Kyle Kinane was an all age show <laughs> and then and then I looked into it and I was like and I started watching his sets now and I'm like oh he cleaned up his sets to get with the program like and and that that kind of bothered me because i'm like well this guy used to say some pretty outrageous stuff but uh, i i I mean in some ways from a musical side i can kind of like when when you have a band that matures their sound is changing and you know it matures I, i can kind of give some give some pass to comics that are Goddamn it! Eighteen, they were a firecracker. Doug Stanhope is one man. That dude just slayed him. And now he's older. He's got better perspective. He under he's got better grasp on the English language, so he can actually right. get more of his ideas across. So it's like I don't know—is that better or worse? When you're buy, buy, yeah. buying a ticket, it's like, what do you want to see? You want to see the inflammatory, the kid, the firecracker, or do you want to like the George Carlin? He matured to the point he was like a. Almost like a social commenter, a yeah, sage, yeah, like more a philosopher. So than a comic, yeah. yeah. So it's, I don't know. I guess you got to ride that line. Well, and I, I think that the line is important because I think that I think that most people approach. We, we just always human beings. We just always do everything backwards. In comedy, people do things backwards all the time. You think of like, I don't want to follow somebody who just ate shit. Because in your mind, a a hole has been dug, and now i got to go pull myself out of it. But comedy is all about tension and release. And if someone who goes on in front of you just bombs, they've built up all this beautiful, wonderful tension for you. And it's so easy to just walk up and poke it, and you get this big pop. Because they did all the work. They yeah. made it uncomfortable. I didn't even have to make the room uncomfortable. I just, get to go, <laughs> I just get to go up there and make it feel better. But I, I, that line is is another place where we we do it backwards. Everybody avoids the when the line starts to get hard and close and tight in on us and and pushing the boundaries no longer means saying crazy shit, but it means like saying some pretty obvious shit you get your feathers ruffled and upset because well look the le- but, part, but comedy is pushing that boundary right, right right and if that boundary is closer that's just an easier thing to push on <laughs> you just you just don't have to go as far to push the boundary anymore right and you should embrace that 
I think comics should embrace speech codes and 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 being told you can't talk about. Oh, oh, by God, talk about it. You'll just you'll just have to you'll just have to put your thinking cap on to decide how to tell me how to not do it next time. <laughs> yeah, like I I'll, I can work around your bullshit. Yeah, well, and it's like the the more savvy you know someone gets with how they can articulate a, a sentence or a phrase, all of a sudden you learn that you can say. Some shit that should piss everybody off, but you say it in such a way that nobody really gets mad about it. And that's <laughs> art. That's, that's art. What comedy should be? Comedy should be. Um, Louis and I, you know, I know it's probably not great politics to quote Louis C.K. right now, but Louis said that if you do comedy that intentionally offends people, you're an asshole. If you do comedy that uh, avoids offending people intentionally, you're, you know, I think you might have said pussy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but part of what comedy, part of what th- makes comedy beautiful is when you can cross the line and you can get people to laugh at stuff that they don't want to laugh at. Uh, you're not trying to offend anybody. You're trying to get people to right. laugh at something they don't want to laugh at. And that's where kind of magic happens. And I think that's true. And I, I think that, you know, it's easy to talk about in the abstract. It's really tough when you've made a bad joke. Well. And people get pissed off. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's tough. But you know what? Most of the people who are concerned about it aren't in a position to get canceled anyway. Ain't nobody watching in the first place. Well, and and I, I would hope that with the Joe Rogan bringing the this image back about comedy clubs and he's so popular maybe people will get the idea that when you walk into a comedy club hey you're out you're you're part of the show now you know you're yeah. you're, you're you you know if something happens that yeah well just wait a minute it'll move on and then we'll be <laughs> then you'll be laughing at something else that's you know? another thing that I, I we have completely lost touch with yeah yeah, everybody wants people to suffer when when you're caused discomfort by someone. Our immediate response as humans, and it always has been, is I want that person to suffer for making me feel bad. But the reality is, Louis C.K. isn't suffering. Louis C.K. <laughs> is having the time of his life. Yeah. Does he wish he had the thirty-two million dollars back? Does he wish he had the the career he was on before probably a little bit but he's also doing fine and i don't you know what louis did was disgusting and what louis did was uh unforgivable if you're a comic and you don't see him ruining five careers just to keep his own on track fuck off all right he sucks he two things he doesn't he's not entitled to be the the most successful comic on the planet. Nobody is. And also, if there are enough people out there that want to watch Louis C.K. to for him to continue to have a career, fine. I don't personally. I'm not a fan. I've I loved Louis. What he did makes me sick. What he did to those women, and what he did to their careers, is awful. And for that reason, I don't care to. Like, I don't give a shit what Louis has to say anymore. <laughs> That should be okay. Like I should be able yeah. to have that opinion. If you go to see a Louis C.K. show, I shouldn't. 
should be mad about. Why would I be mad about? I mean, when he was on SNL, like some of the stuff that he even said on SNL, I'm like, how the fuck did SNL just let him say that on national (laughs) television? Like, because I mean, because he was saying some awkward stuff on that stage that day, and and it, I mean, and you got the audience like, ooh, ooh, like, and he's like, what? Have you never seen my comedy? Like, (laughs) have you never paid attention to me before? Yeah, but but judging people for their personal choices in entertainment beyond just you know the way you sh- I just don't get it I don't get why I don't get why I'm an idiot for not giving a shit what Louis has to say anymore or why you might be an idiot for going to a Louis CK show I don't understand that's how this system works we all vote with our dollars or we all vote right. with our and that's fine yeah if he gets to have whatever career he wants, he can have with the people who still give a shit about what he says. I don't. I mean, it, it works. we could talk about the issues all day. There's long. all kinds of artists that do that across the board. <clears throat> Talking to you, Kid Rock. <laughs> That's right. He knows his audience. Do do I judge? I don't judge him. Whatever, somebody man. for going to a Kid Rock concert? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not going to be Judge an asshole. Jimmy Judgerson is not going to be for Shine Down. Like, what is that? Uh, was it David Cross's like? Uh, was it Make America Great Again tour? Yeah, whenever, yeah, whenever he was on there, and uh, and the lady in the audience, like uh, she, he said some joke, and then she just got up and just scoffed and like walked off. And he's like, "Oh, oh, you just get up and just walk out." He's like. Uh, He's like, uh, you know, I guess you've never saw the five other comedy sets that I have on uh, Netflix. Uh, he's like, someone give you, you know? these tickets tonight? Yeah, yeah. When, when that, <laughs> like, I guess you never saw my work. And he's like, oh, let's go see Tobias. Let's go see him do some stupid shit on the stage, you know? Like, and so, it, it, I don't, I don't know. I, I just look at it as I'm like, I'm like, yeah, they're they're up there. They're gonna say some things you don't like. They're gonna say some things that you might not find funny or offensive, you know. Sure, but, it's a show, but I mean, man. but but why get mad? Like uh, whenever you're all there to just have a good time, you're not there to just get all pissed I just th- off. I, I just think I don't really that- like hecklers either. I I can't stand that shit when I'm watching comedy and like somebody in the audience just like hey, you know, to the yeah. to the stage. It's fucking annoying. Like I, I think that people are too. I think that people are too ready to to be a <laughs> people are too ready to be offended, mm-hmm. and then when they're offended, they think everyone else should do something about it. Right, <laughs> and I don't think anyone owes any of you any of that. Like I think that they certainly you, shouldn't petition the government to shut you up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. But I mean, look, I think that things shake out the way they shake out. Um. Sometimes controversy isn't really controversy. Uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast said a bunch of shit that people didn't like. And then people like Neil Young are like, fuck you. If you're going to give him a bajillion dollars for doing that, I'm not going to put my music on your on your platform. Okay. okay. Spotify said, okay, okay. there's yeah. other platforms. Have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All of that is and then fine. Got mad at Spotify for that. No controversy. <laughs> all, at all of that is great. And and you know what? Some people are like, yeah, I agree. Fuck Spotify. Good. Like that. Vote with your dollars. Close exactly. down your account. Yeah. If you, you don't go. close down your account, it means that you're full of shit. Because, Maybe a little you know, bit. Yeah. If you, if, if, <laughs> but that's you, it. You I mean, you have no. Like you know, we talk about these things breathlessly, like they're you know 
controversies that are tearing us apart. At the end of the day, everybody just did what they thought was right, and there you go. And it ends up where it ends up. Yep. But we have this this culture where we like to build these myths around people, and we like to put them on a pedestal and make them more important than they could possibly be in real life, just so later we can fuck it up and tear them down. Yeah, oh yeah. And because we live in that system, everything feels like it's such a, oh my God, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. All right. Okay. Like, yeah. You've never seen anybody get slapped before? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes a guy gets mouthed and he has to get slapped. Mm -hmm. And then that guy, the guy that slapped him usually goes to jail. Usually, yeah. Dave Chappelle's uh, version of those events went, yeah, that arm was broken. Did you see that picture? That was definitely broken. <laughs> they fucked him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that got weird. Well, um, but like those those things happen and we talk about them breathlessly like they're, they're life and death. When at the end of the day, it's just people play. It's just stuff playing out. People, you know, and and, and like to scream and yell that, Neil Young is trying to censor Joe Rogan. No, he just doesn't want his, his music on that platform anymore, and that's why. Yeah. So, okay. There you go. Done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Spotify is not entitled to have a bajillion dollars. Um, Joe Rogan isn't entitled to have an exclusive contract with, like, none of, like, we get what we earn. But at the end of the day, you're not entitled to. Right. You, you made a good deal. Yeah. Well, and, and even even and, even Adam Curry, uh, which runs No Agenda, um, he's friends with with um, Joe Rogan, and he even said, you know, podcasting 2.0 and and stuff, you can't get rid of res feeds off the internet. So oh, like, right. it's it's the it's the pirate radio of, of the internet. So that's why they don't like it because you can't get rid of it. And so he told him. You know, I mean, whenever Spotify finally decides to kick you off the platform, he's like, we still got about 100 different platforms that you can jump on. And, I mean, and, and you'll still be working. And that's because of the audience that he has. But he's also not entitled to that audience. If you keep doing things that are questionable or saying things that are questionable or we'll drop or, off, yeah. then that then that audience drops away. And then and so, like, I just think that there's there's. There's a whole lot of entitlement in our system. Like our, we just are, we feel like we're entitled to everything. And we're not, I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to do what people do and Mm. it's going to fuck up your thing. And like, (laughs) try not to get any on you. you Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. If I went back to comedy tomorrow, and started to achieve any level of success in my brain for the for for the whole time I'm accruing success at comedy. I would be well. It's just count down to like a cancel. <laughs> <laughs> you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. That's know? right. Because at the That's end of the truth. day, I know that my opinions don't like. I'm not going to reach. A, a wide audience without some of them thinking some very wrong things about what I think and feel. Culture Wars 2.0, man. Well, uh, you got anything coming up? You want to shout out or uh, well, right now projects? Yeah, right, right now I'm uh, right now I'm back in town, back in Oklahoma City. I spent some time in Arkansas managing a comedy club during the 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 pandemic, and that was fun. Um, 
but I'm back in Oklahoma City. I'm working for uh, Rodeo Cinema. Um, we're an independent art house theater. I'm very excited about sort of what it is. Um, excited to learn about movies and how that works. Uh, but we also are uh, opening up to live events. We're going to start doing concerts, comedy, a lot of variety shows coming down the road. So check us out at rodeocinema.com. Rodeocinema.com. Brad Chad Porter. All the ups, uh, upcoming stuff. Thank you guys for having this. Man, was thank fun. you for being on, man. Uh, we this appreciate it. And I talk too much. Hopefully we'll... Uh, oh, no, you hit it right on the mark, man. Yeah. Right on. This was dope. Hey, you guys are great. <laughs> Jonathan, you about ready? Yeah. Let's take us home, man. All right. Uh, the local earshot podcast we run on the value for value system that is time, talent, and treasure. Uh, we value everybody's time for listening. We know that you can listen to a lot of different podcasts, and we're glad that you decided to listen to ours. Uh, there's many ways that you can um, help us with your time by just going out and telling people about the show and just telling them about what we're doing. You know, we we normally talk about music a lot of the time because that's our main thing, but uh, but we like to bring in comedy and all sorts of different entertainment. Uh, so uh, that brings me to talent. If you are a artist or you work inside the music industry or if you work inside the industry of entertainment and you want to be on the show, you can hit me up at john at the local com, or you can hit up Brad at on Instagram um, and then we can get you set up for interview. Uh, and then for treasure, if you want to give us your money, uh, which, uh, you know, yeah. it jingles, we like it, um, <laughs> and it helps us pay the bills and keep the lights on. And also gas prices are not very cheap Ooh. from Oklahoma City to Norman. So. Um, and so if you want to do that, you can go to the local earshot.com and there'll be a tab that says donate. When you click on it, uh, there's a couple different options. We take cash app, Vitmo, we take, uh, PayPal. Um, and then, um, and then I'm actually building subscriptions on a subscription site for memberships for people that, uh, want to be a part of the show for a long term. And, um, and then they might have special little things that, that we come up with, uh, whenever they go to like meetings or uh, events and stuff that we put on. So, um, yeah, thank you for listening. All right, man. You about ready to get out of here? Yep. Let's go smoke this bowl. All right.